Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Well, good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. For those of you who were uh, with us at the end of the last hour, um, I shared that Schoolhouse Rock is now 50 years old. And many of you then texted in your your delight, the one that came to mind for you and others demonstrating the diversity of our listening audience, uh, texted in, what is Schoolhouse Rock? So um, for those of you uh, who maybe are over 70, I'm going to go with that. Um, 50 years ago, Schoolhouse Rock was developed as a teaching technique for those of us who um, were watching television instead of doing other things. And so they taught us everything from the preamble to the Constitution, to how a bill becomes a law, to how to make a figure eight, um, to grammar, like conjunction, junction, what's your function, Um, All kinds of things. So there you go. You can Google Schoolhouse Rock for more, and you can watch them or listen to them and learn how we learned. All right. In the news that we talked about at the top of the first hour and are returning to here, and we will um, delve into this particular region of the world with Mindy Bells in our Globetrot uh, here in just a moment. But again, there was a deadly 7.8 magnitude earthquake that... um, really just leveled buildings and rattled communities in several countries early Monday morning. The epicenter, um, a, a, a border city in Turkey, about 2.1 million people living in the capital of that, uh, in that particular province. But the earthquake extended um, hundreds of miles and, uh, and certainly affected communities on the southern side of the border in Syria. Um, rescuers are reporting more than 1,300 people have died. That number is absolutely expected to rise. Thousands, thousands injured and um, and obviously hospitals um, devastated in the midst of all of this as well. So the international community is, is going to surge aid and resources. Um, let's just remember that this is an active conflict zone. And there are some concerns that Syria and Russia will now take advantage of the disaster to advance their political objectives in the region. More on that up next. Mindy Bells is going to join us. In the meantime, let's pray the news here on Mornings with Carmen. Mindy Bells is joining us. You can follow her on her Substack, mindybells.substack.com. It's called Globe Trot. Mindy, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. So you have been to the part of the world um, at the center of the news this morning, and I'm just reading the live updates, both at the Washington Post and the New York Times. The 
the death toll has now risen to 1,700. But uh, based on the videos that we're watching out of the region, the death toll is absolutely going to uh, going to rise. Talk with us about um, absolutely. Yeah, about this part of the world. I'm not even going to try to um, pronounce the pronounce the names here of the cities and towns most highly affected in southern Turkey and northern Syria. Yeah, well, when we talk about this earthquake, we need to change that to plural and talk about earthquakes. Um, I mean, I, I looked at the U.S. Geological Survey list this morning and was shocked. I counted twice. There have been 37 what we would call aftershocks since the earthquake uh, that happened around 8 p.m. Eastern time uh, last night. And the, the major one that's centered near the city of Gaziantep in Turkey. But those have extended. I mean, they're not they're not small aftershocks. There was a 6.0 aftershock just about an hour ago. Um, and they're not only, I mean, I think what seems unusual to me, not only right in that region. I mean, one of them that took place this morning was actually in Iraq. So we have an entire region that is affected aftershocks being felt in Baghdad and Erbil, the two largest cities in Iraq, aftershocks being felt in Cyprus, out in the Mediterranean, in Beirut, and um, just across the Middle East. And as you and I have talked many times, you know, this, as you rightly said, this, this is a live combat zone. Our attention has turned away from it in, uh, in some measure because of the war in Ukraine, but um, you have 5 million refugees from the Syrian war uh, at this moment, and three and a half million of them live somewhere in this zone. <laughs> I mean, most, mm. of the ref- most of the Syrian refugees right now are concentrated in Turkey. They live in camps. Um, I, there's a report this morning from a, a World Vision staff person in northern Syria who described families. Um, you know, sleeping, and we can assume some of them literally in tent camps still, some of them in temporary housing. I visited refugees in this region in empty garages, in empty buildings, like half-constructed buildings. I mean, they, they've they set up home anywhere they could. And then there are some large camps. There's a camp of uh, 13,000 Syrian refugees in northern Iraq that has been affected by this quake. Um, and and the additional, you, you know, if that's not bad enough, um, much of this region has had an unusually harsh winter with snow last week, rain following that, and, and just very cold temperatures. So there were already great needs there. No electricity, no kerosene. And it's one camp that I've been following uh, prior to the earthquakes. And there's just going to be, it's going to be very difficult to um, assess the damage, I think, and then much more difficult to reach these groups. But many, um, many agencies are mobilizing and, and churches in this region are mobilizing to do that. Yeah, we will um, certainly be providing information in the coming days about, um, you know, those who are responding. And I know that there are many listening right now who are going to want to know, like, you know, who should I, who should I help? How should I help? Um, And we will certainly provide you with that information as more information becomes available. Um, Yeah, there would be no power, there'd be no water, there would be a fear of going indoors. It's unusually cold. um, And we're talking about millions of people who are already unsheltered in one way, uh, shape, or form because of the refugee crisis and the ongoing war in the region. 
Mindy, uh, I bet we will still be talking about this the next time we get together. Let's um, mm-hmm. let's switch gears and turn our attention, at least momentarily, to Ukraine. We have heard in the last week or so that to expect Russia to gear up for a major offensive, um, possibly as early as the anniversary of the invasion, and that would be February the 24th. Right. This this has been in you know under discussion for a long time. I mean, I think it it still stands to be seen whether Russia actually can gear up for the offensive in the way that people are expecting. But obviously, we've seen a tremendous new um, uh, infusion of arms, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and and weaponry into Ukraine, not only from the United States but from most of the NATO powers. You've even seen countries like Denmark and. Finland sending um, missile defense systems. Um, we've seen Germany after we, I, I think we talked about this, where Germany had been very reticent and that was having uh, kind of a negative impact uh, on the diplomatic side of this whole equation. But we've seen Germany begin to make some movements. So I I, I think that it is, it is a new game on both sides. And um, we're hitting the one-year mark. Obviously, Ukraine has been devastated by this war. And again, we're talking winter, Carmen. We, you know, we just we have to keep remembering these people are, are managing what would be a dire situation under any circumstances. They're doing it in cold weather and, and snow on the ground. And um, so I, I think that as the situation, as the situation becomes more dire for Ukraine, we're going to see kind of desperate moves. And I think we'll see them on both sides. And um, I, I, I hate to be pessimistic because, you know, the, the people of Ukraine and particularly the government of Ukraine have, have had this incredible response. This war wouldn't still be going on, I don't think, if, if they had not. Um, that, that is the key point here, that, that their determination to hold on to their country is why the United States and, and uh, European powers have stepped in to help them. Um, and that determination is going to be severely tested, not only by uh, a particularly new offensive that that we can expect from Russia, but simply by the the sheer time that has elapsed since they have been going without electricity, not able to sleep at night, having to go into bomb shelters, things like that. Um, so it is it is entering not only a second year soon, but it is entering just a second phase where I think all sides will be tested in ways they haven't been before. I think that's an astute observation. Um, So thank you so much, uh, Mindy, for that. Um, There's also headlines out there related to the United States nuclear pact with Russia. I'll include that in the show notes today, which you can get um, wherever you get Mornings with Carmen, uh, particularly if you download it as a podcast, but you can get them later today at MyFaithRadio.com as well. Uh, Navy divers are going to be back in the water today off the coast of South Carolina collecting debris from a Chinese spy balloon. Um, millions of Americans watched this guys uh, over, the, uh, over the weekend related to this. We're going to talk with Mindy in just a moment about what's up with China, not just in relationship to this balloon, but Thailand and the Uyghurs. And the canceling of a trip by the Secretary of State. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. 
As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Mindy Bells, you can read and sign up to receive her Substack, which is called Globetrot, mindybells.substack.com. Mindy, um, let's talk about China. You know, the spy balloon being being one thing and certainly a curiosity and, and cause for particular intrigue. But there's a whole lot more going on with China than just this balloon. Right. Yeah. I mean, I do want to say, Carmen, that I, that we saw it here. So, so it, 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 you know, I was, I was trying not to. See, this is uh, why I love you. You, you saw it. I didn't see it. We went out to look at it and we decided that what we were looking at was probably like Venus. It, it was pretty distinctive and, and there were a couple of local weather people tracking it and it was uh, passed over the Eastern sky here on Saturday. And, um, so that that kind of I mean, I don't want to actually say it brought it home, but it did make it, it it was odd. It was weird. I don't like the idea of Chinese balloons, whether they're for research or for surveillance. I don't like the idea of them hovering over my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and and none of us do. So there was this like weird, discomforting thing. And the, and and I actually I mean, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say I think the U.S. had a, a a balanced measured response that was probably pretty wise and, and kind of said, let's see what this thing is doing. Obviously the U S military was tracking it all along the way. And I think at any point that they thought it was endangering things, they would have shot it down, which they, they did once it was out of the ocean, there is reason to be kind of cautious about not shooting it down over populated areas. So I, I just, I think we don't, we don't know enough to, to make a whole big deal out of this, but it definitely is a new level of concern about the U.S.-China relationship, the belligerence that I believe is there from China. You saw a number of sort of foreign policy experts on TV over the weekend saying, you know, we can't let this derail talks with China. This doesn't seem consistent. I mean, a number of them just even saying this was probably some rogue bureaucrat or somebody who made a wrong move in China. Well, I, I just don't think so. I, I mean, I just don't think we can dismiss it on that basis. Uh, but at the same time, there are bigger issues, as you allude to, and we, we don't want to get focused on on these balloons. I, I think our, our military is perfectly capable of tracking and responding to this kind of thing. Um, but the larger issues are this ongoing clampdown within China that we've seen just devastating to, to human rights and the lives of humans and um, uh, and and continuing to affect people that in particular are religious minorities and ethnic minorities in China. Um, and then also to threaten 
neighbors. And um, those are the ongoing issues. And I, I think as we look at like how Secretary Blinken, if his trip gets rescheduled and things like that, and how the president responds to this, we want to be also looking at the deeper issues. How are they engaging on those? Not are we only talking about balloons? Yeah, absolutely. This uh, ominous prediction from um a four-star general just a few days ago that, you know, we're, we're likely going to be at war with China by 2025. And I, and I thought to myself when I read that and was exposed to that information, you know, we, we live in, um, we have lived through a period as, as Americans of at least personal relative peace for such a long period of time. And now that we seem to be entering a time period when not just globally, but here in the United States, there's, there's more violence, more conflict. Um, I think that Christians need to live with an awareness that it's not as if the world is getting progressively better. Like people who have imagined that the progressives are are accurate about human history and that we are progressively moving toward a happier and more peaceful state literally haven't read the Bible. Like literally you haven't read the Bible if you think that progressivism leads to world peace. It that's just not where the story is headed. It's not the storyline of redemptive history. And so I'm not trying to scare people, but I am trying to like be, have some sober judgment. Let's not be literally ignorant by ignoring what the Bible tells us is the path of humanity. That's right. And I think too, that it, it it's a certain, uh, you know, wishing away of the headlines as well, just the day to day of what we see all around us. And I, I just go back to the situation in China. And I think for Christians also, it, it, it really is upon us to, to look beneath these events that pop up. And, and even as you say, the, the talk of a coming war to see what, what the war on Chinese people that is happening right now, the um, incredible, burdens that they've been living under throughout the pandemic because of the COVID regulations there. And then beyond that, as we've talked about in the past, you know, the situation for the Uyghurs, millions of people living literally in prison camps um, where China is basically experimenting on them. And, and these things are happening. And we know we heard there was incredible testimony last week in Washington at the uh, Religious Freedom uh, Summit from two Uyghurs, uh, just reminding us of how unspeakable the situation is. And we all know about it and we're not, we're sort of powerless to do anything about it. But I, I believe for, for those of us who believe that there is redemptive history, it's just, it, we're between the, the now and the not yet. Uh, it's, it's really upon us to know about these things and to be praying about them, be sort of beyond and beneath the headlines. Absolutely. Mindy, as always, um, thank you so much for, um, helping us have sober judgment, great hope, um, connecting us with the people in places around the world um, where things are very, very difficult, but where, you know, God has his people and um, and there are opportunities to come alongside and help and encourage. And um, so thank you, um, as always, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. That's Mindy Bells. You ought to be following her Substack uh, because she's talking about places and people that we often don't read or hear about or certainly from in the headline news of the day. MindyBells.Substack.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio.
All right, when you think about influencers, when I say that, my guess is you think about people who you don't actually personally know. Influencers. The There's an influencer class out there, like a whole segment of the population who consider themselves influencers. That's actually what we call them. Uh, a lot of kids today, that's what they want to grow up to be. They want to grow up to be an influencer. By that, they mean a person who has a tremendous following on social media, but not necessarily actual relationships with any of those people. So when we talk about the people who have had real influence in our lives, we're actually talking about people who knew us or know us, loved us or love us. And so I want you to go back in time and I want you to think about your early influences who were your, who or what were your early influences? So certainly um, our parents, but maybe our extended family, grandparents, godparents. Maybe uh, I have uh, Letha and Wilbur on my list because Letha and Wilbur were geographically our closest neighbors to the farmhouse that I lived in when I was little in Indiana. And that's where I stayed between school and when my parents got home from work. I stayed at Letha and Wilbur's house, and she made us cheesy rice every afternoon. Um, Yeah, early influences. My grandmother, Robina, huge early influence. My kindergarten teacher, first person to give me an F. It was good. It was a humbling, good experience. Miss Mabry, my fifth grade teacher, coaches, softball coaches along the way. Um, Coach Fife, my, my coach when I was in high school. Kathy Connor, my young life leader. I have had some tremendous influencers in my life, people who have had tremendous influence over me, particularly in my early life. I want you to make that list. I want you to be thinking through that list because that's the conversation we're going to have with Colin Hansen from the Gospel Coalition about Tim Keller. So we're not talking with Tim Keller. We're talking about Tim Keller and his spiritual and intellectual formation. We're going to talk about Who influenced Tim Keller, who in turn has influenced all of us? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Colin Hansen is joining us today. Colin serves as the vice president of content and editor-in-chief for the Gospel Coalition He's one of my favorite people to talk with about, you know, just what's going on in the world and how we apply the mind of Christ um, to what we're experiencing. He hosts the Gospel Bound podcast. He's written and edited lots of books. Today, he's here to talk with us um, a little bit behind the scenes uh, about one of our century's most influential church leaders, and his name is Timothy Keller. Tim Keller's not here But Colin Hansen is here to talk about Tim Keller. The book is Timothy Keller, His Spiritual and Intellectual Formation. Colin, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, I'm so glad to be here, Carmen. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. So I'm going to start with this. Um, You could have written uh, a biography about just about anybody. Why Tim Keller? Well, I think you said right there, Carmen, definitely one of the most significant leaders of the late 20th, early 21st century. Somebody I've known personally since 2007. He's the co-founder of the Gospel Coalition. The thing about Tim, though, I think that's so unique 
is that when you're talking about Tim, he's always full, talking with him, he's always full of ideas. This book he's read, this sermon that he recalled, this lecture, this tra- you know transcript, this podcast he listened to, something like that. And I thought, what if other people had that experience of learning from him? What if they could go back in time and remember what it was like to come to faith in the Jesus movement of the 1970s? What if they could then go forward into what was it like to be one of the largest church leaders of New York City after the 9-11 attacks or living through the AIDS crisis of the 1980s and 1990s? And what sources did he draw on? What people did he learn from? What ideas did he wrestle with? And I thought not only would we get a picture of kind of a leadership study of one individual, but we'd all be we'd also get a bigger perspective on the last 50 to 70 years in general of American life and evangelical life in particular. Plus, we'd also be able to build our own libraries to say, oh, wow, here's a few books that I can pick up as well and, and learn from too. Yeah, there is, um, there's something in here for everybody. I, there's something in here for the, um, the woman who wonders, does it matter if I teach a little kid how to read the Bible? Talk about yeah. the woman who taught Tim Keller how to read the Bible. Well, no doubt um, there have been several key female influences on Tim Keller, starting with his, his mother was a dominant influence. Um, his biggest influence is his wife, Kathy. I'm sure many of your listeners will be familiar with Elizabeth Elliott. She was one of Tim and his wife, Kathy's professors in seminary, huge influence on them. Barbara Boyd is who you're talking about. She was the first ever female staff member for InterVarsity. And really, she was a pioneer of spreading what we know commonly as inductive Bible study. And so she taught these Bible and Life conferences. She also had a famous lordship talk that she would use with students and after Tim became a Christian in 1970, he went up to Colorado to a place called uh, Bear Trap, and um, they learned, he learned from her about the Bible and just how to study. And kind of the main method, Carmen, was, was pretty simple. It was, you know, she'd, t- she'd take a group of students and she'd say, hey, you know, take a look at this passage. Tell me what stands out to you. And everybody would sit there for about three minutes, and then they'd think, okay, and then they'd kind of look up and, and say, okay, we're done. And she said, no, now spend another 30 minutes looking at it. And all of a sudden, all these new things that they hadn't thought of started popping everywhere. And so that close observational study of Scripture, that's been the core of Tim Keller's ministry ever since. It started with Barbara Boyd and InterVarsity Christian Fellowship back there in uh, 1970. Yeah, I love that. So that's one example of... Um, what Colin Hansen draws out of Tim. And uh, Colin also spent a lot of time with Tim's notes and his sermons, and he has put it together for us in really just a, it's just a great biography with a very unique approach. It's called Timothy Keller, His Spiritual and Intellectual Formation. If Tim has been an influence in your life, then you're the kind of person that I want to um, receive a copy of uh, of Colin's book. And so we're giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Again, if Tim Keller has been um, a real, a really significant influence in your life, I'd love for you to have a copy of this book so you can see what influences uh, Timothy Keller. You text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Colin, there's a lot in here about Tim's growing up, the influence of growing up in Pennsylvania. Um, there's also, you know, in here, 
It's not that Tim just experienced the AIDS epidemic. He lost a brother to it. He sure did. So one of the things that people, when, when people listen to Tim, when they read his books, I think they feel a pretty strong personal connection to him. But what's so interesting, Carmen, is that when you look back, he doesn't talk about himself very much. He doesn't use a lot of personal illustrations. And so you, until this book, I would say a lot of people didn't know much or haven't known much about that life. And so Tim has a younger sister who was so supremely helpful to me in working on this book. One of the very first people I talked to, he also had a younger brother, Billy. And um, Billy was spent most of his adult life in a gay lifestyle, um, contracted AIDS from his partner, and ultimately died of it in 1998. And um, the, I mean, that of course has, will have a huge effect on, on anybody um, who would be close to him, but especially uh, I mean, when you that Tim and Tim and his wife were able to minister to him into his dying days and his hospice days in 1998, he lived longer than doctors had expected. And I mean, people can read about in the book more details about his deathbed conversion um, and even his transformation of his of his life, his perspective. And the bottom line is it's not so much that that Billy had um, had died of AIDS, but it's that Billy struggled his entire life to understand the concept of grace, that it's not something we can earn, but only something that we can receive as a gift from God. I don't think he's alone <laughs> in struggling with that, but that was the thing that stood out there, is that he struggled with that his entire life, and it wasn't until he was near death that it finally began to click that this is a gift of God by grace through faith. And so it's a beautiful story, and I encourage people to pick up the book. You can read about Tim's sermon. I'll give a little bit of, uh, at the funeral, I'll tease it a little bit, just for, for some of those folks out there who know Tim pretty well. They can think, what message do you think Tim Keller preached? What passage do you think he chose for his younger brother's funeral to preach? A little bit of a tease there. <laughs> I won't give it away. Um, all right, so... <laughs> The book is the book is fantastic. Um, if Colin and I are wetting your appetite uh, for it, you can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, the book is Timothy Keller um, and the, the subtitle, His Spiritual and Intellectual Formation. It really is um, a, a biography of how Tim became the person, the preacher, um, the mentor, the church planter, that we know today um, as Timothy Keller. So 1989, uh, they plant a church in New York City. So um, one of the things that we learn uh, in the book is sort of the approach. Normally, when somebody plants a church, they sort of let all the Christians know, and they invite anybody who wants to come from an existing church to like help them plant a new church. That is exactly the opposite of what Tim Keller did. Um, talk about maybe why New York City and the uniqueness of not advertising that they were planting a church. Yeah, New York City was in the 19th century, the Protestant and evangelical capital of the United States. Massive revival in 1857-58 in New York City. Um, then you can fast forward 100 years. It's no surprise. 100 years later after that revival, Billy Graham goes to New York City, has his most spectacular evangelistic meetings in New York City. But by the time the 1980s arrive in the island of Manhattan, 
I could basically identify four evangelical churches. Um, the church attendance would have been for evangelicals less than 1% or somewhere around 1%. Um, at the same time, the city was dramatically changing. Um, there was a, a huge economic boom that a lot of people remember throughout the, the early and mid-1980s. And then there was also a crash in the 1980s that a lot of people remember. And that brought a lot of people there, but also, dis- especially in finance, but also disappointed a lot of people. And it was really turned out to be a right place for planting a church. A revival came through New York again. Uh, Redeemer exploded in growth, and some of these other churches were really strong as well. But as you mentioned, Carmen, it did not come through publicity. First of all, there weren't that many Christians there to begin with uh, who were looking for that kind of church. But second, this was an effort to truly try to penetrate the secular um, secular uh, neighborhoods and, and people in New York. And uh, so this was a place where people that Christians would bring their friends who had questions, who were skeptics, who had doubts. They thought the more that we kind of advertise this thing and blow this up into a really big public thing, the less likely people are going to to want to come if they truly are skeptical and have those questions. And so uh, I I think in many ways they they succeeded. And I'll just mention one other dimension here. Of course, the 9-11 attacks happened just a a little over a decade later. And what happens there is some, some Christian media try to go up there and try to cover the church some Christian media in this case that were not um, known for being particularly gracious at the time. And Kathy Keller literally physically chased them off the premise because even then the focus was on that church in New York, not on the publicity they could get from others around the country and the world. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, how Redeemer Church and the Kellers responded uh, to September 11th, 2001. We're talking with Colin Hansen. The book is Timothy Keller, His Spiritual and Intellectual Formation. We're giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter that drawing. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Prayer is such a gift. I love to pray. I think people sometimes overcomplicate prayer or try to craft perfect prayers as if God needs to be impressed. God just wants to hear what's on your heart and mind. He just wants to hear the sound of your voice. He wants us to turn to him with great expectation and faith that says, I don't have the power nor the resources, but God, you do. Or I don't know what to do, but my eyes are fixed on you. Or God, thank you. Thank you that you're good and that you've revealed yourself in ways that I can comprehend. And thank you for doing all that you do in every moment, even the stuff that I don't know is happening. Help me today and Help me not miss the divine opportunities you've set. I want to see you today, God, so show me yourself. Prayer's not complicated. It's a gift, and you can exercise it every moment and in any circumstance. Start each week with a moment of reflection and prayer with the Faith Radio prayer devotional email. You can sign up today at MyFaithRadio.com. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We're talking with Colin Hansen from the Gospel Coalition. He's authored a new book, Timothy Keller, His Spiritual and Intellectual Formation. Um, Colin, I want you definitely to talk about the theme of grace and experiencing God's grace. Um, But let's spend a little more time talking about uh, Tim Keller, his 
experience of and response to 9-11? Yeah. So that's um, September 16th was that Sunday and ended up preaching one of his more more famous messages, one that incorporated for you um, Tolkien fans, Tim and Kathy are huge Tolkien Lord of the Rings folks, and ended up talking about the the bit in the end. I mean, of course, the entire hope is is from Scripture, but the illustration he uses is the concept of, you know, with Gandalf coming back from the dead in Lord of the Rings and, and the comment, will everything sad come untrue? And that's the, the message of the new creation coming with Jesus's return that Tim was trying to orient people toward. And, and in many ways, it's a it's an encouraging story because the church explodes. It adds about 800 members, like sustainable members. People are coming to faith. Christians from around the country give them more than a million dollars to distribute to people in need. But the trauma of that event lingered in the congregation. Somebody from the Oklahoma City federal bombing said, hey, be prepared for this. And it really almost took Tim out of ministry. It was so incredibly overwhelming. But one thing that I thought was really interesting is that the the Christians around New York City and around Redeemer believe that the message, don't abandon the city, don't give up on your neighbors, don't run away, stay and love them and care for them, is actually one of the main reasons that New York City did not depopulate, did not get abandoned by a lot of people who had the opportunity in 2001 and 2002. So there's a lot to go into there, but um, it was a difficult time, but also a time of pretty profound ministry for Tim and for the church. You know, he's, Tim's had lots of opportunities to sort of like move on from there. Um, I don't see him like he's he has moved on to other things, but he has not moved on from New York. Like it is it is really part of it. It feels to me as if it is really part of who he is. You can't really separate the two at this point. Yeah, well, no doubt about that. But what I think is so interesting, Carmen, when people look at this book, they'll realize that for the first half so far of his of his life, let's say until he was 35 years old, he did not have any experience with city ministry. He was actually a rural <laughs> pastor in Virginia, didn't have any experience internationally, and didn't have any experience running a mercy ministry. All of those things are the things he would become defined by in the second half of his life so mm-hmm. far. And that could be a message to a lot of us not to give up or to not give up on young people. But yeah, those things that we so closely associate with him. I mean, he doesn't start publishing best-selling books until he's 57. So a lot of things can change um, for the better in our lives as God is at work. Wow. Um, so let's talk about the theme of grace. Um, I mean, you, you spent a lot of time researching this book and you say that one theme really stood out above all the others. What, what is that theme? Yeah, well, that's, you just never got over grace. And I think, um, hopefully there's going to be a lot of new insights that come up for people with this book. But for me, no doubt it was getting to go back into that household, back into his childhood, And one of the things that his assistant, Craig Ellis, told me early on is that Tim has never written an autobiography, his own story, but the closest he's come is his book, The Prodigal God. Mm -hmm. And it came out in 2008, very short little book, highly commended to everybody out there. It's about the two sons, Luke 15. 
And uh, when you go back and you understand his childhood, when you understand his mother's religious pursuits, when you understand Tim's very active conscience, you can understand why grace is so powerful, so transformative. This, this thing we cannot earn, this thing that does not come through our moral exertion, but can again only come to us as a grace because of Christ's finished work on the cross. And you can spend a lot of time, Carmen, we could, we could talk for hours about all the different influences and ideas. And, but in the end, insofar as we listen to Tim and read his books, that's the message that attracts us. Because ultimately, if, you know, as a representative, as a minister of the gospel, he was representing and continues to represent Christ in his work. And he's not pointing to himself or even these other great influences, but he's pointing to Jesus. That's the job of any minister, any author for your show, for me, for anybody else. And, and that's really what stood out. And I just wanted people to remember that at the end of the day. Is that something he never got over? And we shouldn't get over either. It's so good. Um, Colin, I will say this, that as a person who lives in Nashville and owns Tim's books, right, I uh, yeah. I tried not to be offended by the fact that he would much rather get together with a skeptic <laughs> on the Upper East Side than sell a book to me in Nashville, which is okay. It's okay. But um, that I, was I my line. Thought, I know. That was I have my thought, line, not his. I have I'm thought sorry. to myself, though, no, I have thought to myself, you know, if I want to get a one-on-one with Tim, I'm just going to tell him I'm a skeptic from the Upper East Side and I'm available That's for coffee. That's true. Coffee. Then yeah, it would happen. Yeah. Then totally happen. not going to tell him it's me. Yeah. No, uh, we we loved him um, here at Mornings with Carmen. He's the, the, the last time that he was on was to talk about his book, um, forgiveness and just yeah. oh, such a it was such a gift. It was just such a gift. And so thank you so much for this insight into the man and his family and the ministry and the influences that have influenced one who so deeply influences us. So Colin, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Carmen. It's really a delight. So that's Colin Hansen. Uh, the book is uh, about Timothy Keller and it's entitled Timothy Keller. We are giving away copies today if you would like to enter the drawing. Um, learn a little bit more about the spiritual and intellectual formation of Timothy Keller. Just text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. We the people in order to form a more perfect you Establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility. All right, I am totally showing my bias today towards Schoolhouse Rock and all the things I learned from it when I was a little kid. For those of you um, who are not familiar with Schoolhouse Rock, uh, it it turns 50. And so there is like a 50th anniversary celebration. Um, It's an opportunity for us to go back and maybe revisit the things that we learned when we were little that, you know what, it would behoove us to be reminded of. Uh, So the preamble to the Constitution is one of the uh, answers that many of you gave on the text line in terms of which schoolhouse rock like still comes to mind and could you still sing? Um, And and it's provocative, right? It asks good questions. It starts with, how do you know about the USA? Do you know about the government? Can you tell me about the Constitution? Hey, learn about the USA. And then it goes on from there. Uh, As we approach the State of the Union address tomorrow night, maybe... um, Revisit the preamble to the Constitution, but also the Declaration of Independence, going back to our conversation in the first hour with Dr. Adam Carrington about the state of the union. So what is the state of your union with Christ? 
What is the state of our union as we the people? Um, And don't just make a laundry list of the things that are wrong or bad. Like, what's the state of our union and how could it be improved? This is a government um, by and for the people and we're the people. So there you go. What's the state of your union with Christ? And then reflect on how that affects the state of our union together as a people. Thank you so much for joining me. You can visit us online at MyFaithRadio.com. I encourage encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, which is the show notes every day that includes all the links for the conversations we've had. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.